we are going to have Trey and Connor, two young men in the Woo! campus ministry, preaching the word for us today. So they're going to do a little yeah. tag team thing here. So I wanted to intro that. And hey, let's give them our attention, Amen. our encouragement. Let's love up on them and, and hear them preach the word. Amen. Trey, go ahead and come on up. Come on, Trey, man. Okay, so like we're kind of doing a, a little dual sermon today. Uh, I'm going to speak on kind of like dual sermon. My part is I'm going to be speaking on uh, an example in the Bible where we see how amazing plans for God can be accomplished when we are unified. And then Connor's going to come up and talk about unity in Christ. Uh, but first, let's pray. Uh, Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, just the awesome ability to come up to uh, the front of the church and, and mm -hmm. preach and uh, do just half a sermon, which is great. Uh, and then Connor finish it off. Uh, you know, I'm not, you know, it's I'm not an experienced preacher, so I'll be the preacher for uh, half the preach for the day. And uh, but pray, I pray God that uh, I can uh, preach with strength in you, God. Uh, lean on you, God. Um, woke up just exhausted, and uh, I pray I can uh, just have some zeal after this prayer to preach to these people. Mm -hmm. Thank you for this day, God. Be, be with me as I preach. Amen. Amen. All right, Trey. Come on, Trey. Go, brother. I want to talk in uh, Nehemiah. So if you want to turn over there, give me an amen when you get there. Amen. Amen, okay. Amen. You knew my notes, okay. Let's go. Okay, so get over to Nehemiah. I'm going to give some... Uh, kind of context to this, but first, uh, I'm going to go through a first, the, the first two chapters pretty quickly, uh, pulling out some kind of good points, uh, as well as kind of talk about Nehemiah's character, uh, just pulling out some just short points on that, and then I'm going to wrap up in chapter three, um, but first, here's some context of the situation. Uh, the Jews were coming back to Jerusalem from their third exile. They were already back in Jerusalem for a few years, um, <clears throat> and, <clears throat> sorry, um, it had been the walls had been destroyed, uh, and they had not been able to be able to rebuild the walls because of past uh, political issues that kind of halted them from rebuilding. Uh, the previous return uh, from exile was led by Ezra, and his focus was to rebuild the temple of God. Uh, so the issue was now is the temple's built, but there's no protection uh, to guard it. Uh, also, some uh, think, some things about Nehemiah. He's a cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes. Uh, so right now he's helping out uh, with being his cupbearer. Uh, so there's a ton of info in this book, and I will not be able to get to it all. Uh, so please, when you have time, spend some time in this uh, during your quiet times. There's so much. And so all I'm going to be able to kind of focus on today is for my one and only point is how in unity we can accomplish great things for God. So Amen. I'm going to turn over because I'm not even there yet. I don't have enough space. Um, let's go, Trey. Let's go to so Nehemiah 1. Verses one. Come on. There. You guys all there? Okay. I'm not. Okay. So I'm going to read uh, real quick. <clears throat> the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that I, that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So 
Nehemiah, some also some background on Nehemiah. He didn't even live in Jerusalem. He spent his he lived his whole life in Babylon. So he did not even live in Jerusalem, but he still was able to mourn and weep over Jerusalem uh, because it was still his homeland. It was God's land. He recognized the importance that this place was uh, had to God's people uh, because it is where God dwelled in the temple. Um, I'm also going to, like I said, I'm going to bounce through the first two chapters real quick, just kind of give some thoughts on this. Uh, so verses 5 to 11, I'm going to give a quick summary. This is his prayer, because in verse 5 it says, Then I said, this is where he had an amazing prayer. I'm going to give a quick summary of it. He recognized God's holiness, asked for God to hear him so he could confess his sin, asked for specific help for approaching the king, and included God in all the plans. And in verse 11, I'll read that. It said, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So going down to chapter 2 now, I'll read that. It says, in the month of, uh, I think it's, I'm going to butcher a lot of names. I think it's, yeah. uh, it's okay, Nisan, Nisan, I don't know. Uh, Nisan, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of, Art- of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid. Here's some info. The king, the Persian king, could... At any moment, if you upset him, he could kill you and and just have you executed for upsetting him in any sort of way. And he was cupbearer to the king. If you came to him and you were downcast or wearing the wrong clothes, if you were wearing sackcloth, which was kind of representing mourning, uh, he could ban you from the temple. And if you upset him, he could execute you. It doesn't matter who you were. At any moment, he could kill you. So that's why he says, I was very much afraid. Um, I, I love it because he confessed it to He wasn't just like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I, I can get up there and talk. But, uh, so let's read uh, verses 3 to 5. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. When you're put in a nervous situation or a situation of persecution or anything that causes you to have to hold your ground, uh, where does your strength come from? Where does your peace come from? I'll let you sit on that one for a sec. <laughs> because Nehemiah just took a second to ask God for some help before answering a king. The king asked him a question. You think about someone asking you a question, and you go, hold on. Amen. So, I'm going to answer the question. He took a second before answering a king to ask God for some help. He could execute him at any time, for any moment, for any reason. He could upset him by the king because he didn't answer him fast enough. He could, he's like, ah, never mind, it took too long. Kill you. Off with your head. Uh, quick side note. If you want to reach God with your emergency prayers, I really hope you're building and cultivating a deep relationship with him as well. Because I'm guilty of the, you know, God, I, I know I haven't been coming around too much, mm. but if you could, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, let's go. I'm on track. Don't be the friend that is always asking for help and never giving any. Yeah. I'm guilty of that this whole week, this past week. We're doing a lot of farm work, and I'm constantly asking. I'm like, 
I got to go help some people too. So. Uh, I love it because he had no shame about his fear. He admitted it, but he wasn't going to let that stop him from accomplishing what God had planned for him. So basic question, but still re relevant. What is the task that God has for you that you know your fear is holding you back? Like I said, basic question, but it can still be, still be relevant in your life. Let's go down to uh, verses 7 to 8. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he, that he will give me lumber, uh, timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence <clears throat> I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my requests. Mm. Nehemiah went to the king with a plan. He didn't, he, did, he didn't, he went prepared. He went to God, he went to the king with a plan and asked for the things that were needed, safe passage and lumber. It isn't a sin to ask the right people for the right things. Uh, sometimes you can kind of have a little bit of fear about, I know this person has something, but I, I don't want to feel like a burden to ask them about it because I know they have it, but it's not a sin to ask. If it, you're going after something that's a right goal, ask the right people for the right help. So then, after this, kind of skipping ahead, um, oh, I also love it, right in the end, he still gives glory back to God, because he, at the end, he gets granted all these letters, kind of permission, uh, he goes right back to God to say thank you. Um, so then, kind of skipping ahead, Nehemiah then arrives in Jerusalem, quietly, I like this, quietly assesses the damage, the gates, and all the areas that need repair in the city. So what he did was he went to Jerusalem, and for, I think, three days, he just, he just traveled around the city, around the wall, through the gates, kind of assessed the, all the damage that was going on and, and had been uh, kind of burnt and destroyed. And he said, okay, and no, and he didn't tell anyone. The, the officers and the people were saying, what is this man doing here? What, why is he here? And so uh, he was building his plan. He was seeing what's going on, what needs to be fixed. Um, so he built his plan first. Instead of kind of jumping in and saying, hey, guys, I'm here to help. What can I do? He goes, no, no, no. I, I, I'm here to help. But, you know, I'm not saying being that servant is a bad thing where you just go, hey, guys, I'm here, here to help. But at the moment, the Jews needed leadership because they had no one guiding them to start this. They now had a person with letters from the king saying, you can go build now. Um, right. Because before it was they were having such an issue with past political um, uh, issues uh, back yes. in Ezra, it was talking about like they couldn't build. They couldn't build because, oh, Jerusalem's too influential. We're not going to let you build. We don't want you to come. But now it was like King Artaxerxes gave him the letters. Go ahead. You can build now. Right. Um, right. So after he had his plan built and his vision kind of put together, he shares his vision with the people and inspires them with the work God had planned. If God gives you an inspiration to work in the world, have a plan, but don't keep that to yourself. Amen. Share it with others and trust that the Holy Spirit's going to kind of give them some inspiration to accomplish that goal too. I'm talking about like in the world, not just saying like, oh, I've been really working on something in my quiet times. I'm really asking for help. I'm talking about in the world. If someone, if you're, if God's just giving you this inspiration, share it. You, you, it's, it's a lot easier to work with other people. Uh, let's go down to chapter three. Come on, Trey. Come on, Trey. Thank you. Come on, Trey. You're doing awesome. Amen. Chapter 3, so I'm only going to read verses 1 to 5, and I'll talk about the rest. Again, I'm going to butcher these names. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. 
The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hesanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Miramoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, uh, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. I'm not going to really talk about number five, it was kind of, or verse five. It was kind of the, the lazy people. It was literally the only people that didn't contribute to all of it was the men of Tekoa because they were too lazy and they didn't, their nobles didn't put their shoulders to the work. So verses one to four, it just goes, says, next to him, next to him, next to him, next to them. They were building this. They built this. The, this gate was built. This wall, part of the wall was built. This tower was built. If you read, if you can somehow read from verses 6 to 32, somehow all it got, says is next to this person, this was getting built. And this wall was getting built. This tower was getting built. Yeah. Kind of an interesting little fact. Nehemiah, when he was talking about this, he started in one area and did a counterclockwise saying of this is all the things that were built in the city. All of it. All the way around, whole counterclockwise, and he ended right back off to where uh, the ending of pretty much the beginning was. Um, so I'm not going to read the rest, but like I said, Nehemiah describes each section, each gate, each tower on the wall, and who worked to rebuild it, because it says each one of, each one of the peoples uh, did it. Every person had a piece to fix, every gate to help build, and had a part to play. Amen. Right. Amen. So kind of concluding, all these people had a common purpose to rebuild the walls that guarded the temple where God dwelt. Everyone had a rock to put somewhere in that wall, in the tower or the gates, whatever it was. Do you feel like you're putting rocks in the walls where they are needed? Are you building your part or a part of the wall? What I'm trying to ask is we all rely on each other for the body to function properly. We all play a part even when we are building on much different parts you're going to be on opposite sides of the city, but you're still building a wall that's still going to come together. It's still going to be finished. Right. Kind of bringing it back to our time. Campus, marrieds, and singles. Do you feel like you are building with these groups? If you are married, do you feel like you're contributing to the married groups? If you're single, do you feel like you're contributing to the single groups? If you're in campus, do you feel like you're contributing to the campus groups? If you don't, ask yourself, what are the talents that I can give or the talents that I have that I'm not using? Are you hospitable, a giver, a server? Do you have great knowledge of the word? Do you have a rough past that you can serve as something to teach others? The body needs you to function, function properly. Like I said, my point is unification. When unified, the body functions properly. It only took 52 days to build a wall all the way around Jerusalem because every single person did a part. Every single person, person built a part of a wall. The priests built the parts of the wall right in front of their home. It was self-interest. They had self-interest to build right in front of their house. And so I think that's great. Nehemiah did a great job on mixing self-interest as well as a bigger goal for Christ. Mm -hmm. sure. um, you know what? Let's, let's go to uh, chapter 6. This is a cool little note. Come on, Trey. You're an awesome like I said, it only took 52 days to fix all the gates, towers. Chapter 6, this is real quick. I was talking to my dad about this one real quick, but um, 
Chapter 6, verses 1. I'm just going to read verses 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, who are the guys are, who are opposing this, who are fighting uh, Nehemiah the whole time. These are the guys trying to ambush him, trying to kill him, trying to get him out of the city so they can rob whatever, trying to, are in the city telling people, you don't have the energy, you don't, have, you know, you don't got the back for this. Um, and so I'm going to keep reading. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, Though up to that time, I had not set the doors and the gates. I love this. I was talking with my dad. I found this to be like, Nehemiah was kind of humble. Uh, and he goes, not a, gap, uh, not a gap was left in it. Though up to that time, I had not set the doors and the gates. But still, it was like, I mean, it was, he let his actions work for him. He didn't say, yeah, I mean, I, there's not a gap left in this wall, guys. He's like, no, no, no. When word came to Sembalot, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies... That I had rebuilt the wall, not, not a gap was left in it. Not a gap was left in a wall all the way around Jerusalem. That's a side note. Um, so back to the kind of the end point. It only took 52 days to build a wall all around Jerusalem. It's amazing what can happen when people motivated by Christ get together to accomplish something for Christ. Amen. So I hope you guys get something out of, out of just this little bit. I, there's so much in Nehemiah. There's the short little prayers. What, do you, what, is, what is your strength? What do you lean on for your strength? Uh, opposition, internal opposition. There's so much in this. The rest of it is when Ezra goes and tries to you know, clean out the sin of the people because this was just the practical, physical. Let's build the wall to you know, guard the temple. And then Ezra's like, let's clean the sin out of this city. Um, so that's where I want to transition uh, to Connor. Yeah, the, the awesome part is that these things get to build on each other, right? So the Israelites were united with a purpose to rebuild Jerusalem because they wanted their city back, they wanted their nation back, and they, they were compelled by a zeal to have that. And, and so what should we be building? What should we be united with a purpose in? And the answer is Christ. Amen. That's what we're building on. They built on the foundations of an old city. We build on the foundations that Christ built for us. And so Israel, you know, was supposed to be a light to the world. That's why they were placed where they were. They were in the middle of everything. They were supposed to, to just be the city on a hill that could give light to all the nations around them, to show them the power of God. And they often failed at this because they, they liked to be exclusive. They liked to be the people of God and didn't necessarily want to share it with others. They, they liked having their own space. And so I've been studying out Colossians, and, and this was, you know, the, the Jewish people had developed these practices. Some of them were given to them in the law. Some they had built on top of the law. And, and they, in, in Colossae, the, some of the Jewish Christians had started to go back to these practices. And some of these Christians had, had started saying, no, we need to do these Jewish practices so we can be separate. And if you want to be a Christian, and if you want to follow Christ, then you have to do these things too. And so Paul is addressing this, and he's like, no, you don't have to do that. Christ freed us from those things, right? 
And so, um, in everyone turn over to Colossians 3. Um, it says, you know, it, it, this guy Epaphras was, was telling them, you know, you, you have to do this Sabbath. You have to do these festivals. You have to follow the eating restrictions that we followed in order to be a Christian. And Paul says, in verse 11, he says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And, and so he, he makes this point that there should be no division. There are no titles when it comes to the body of Christ. It doesn't matter if you were a Jew before. It doesn't matter if you were a Gentile before. There is no division in Christ. When we are in Christ, in following Christ, there is nothing that should separate us. And so what do you see when you come in here? Do you see old and young? Do you see black and white? Do you see Republican and Democrat? Do you see sinner and saint? Or do you see Christ? Because, I mean, the word Christian literally means little Christ. It was a derogatory term that they gave to people. And so, but it's, it's ironic because when we come in here, when we come into the body of Christ, we should see a bunch of little Christs. Amen. That Christ is in all of us. It says Christ is all and is in all. So look to the person to your left. Look to the person to your right. Do you see Christ or do you see the divisions that are in you? Right? Deployment. What, what, what are we doing if, if we come in here and we see these divisions? We're, the world wants to divide us. Yeah, sure. Our world is divided and it's all about pitting each other against each other. Come on, come on. And I have seen that so much more in the recent years. Yeah. yeah. With all the political things yeah. that are going on, you're either in this camp or you're in that camp. But together, as the body of Christ, we shouldn't see those things. You know? Um, I, I know that I can get really frustrated when someone disagrees with me. I'm like, why do you see the things the way that you see them? That doesn't make any sense. But it's a lot easier to do that rather than to be, oh, okay, they see something different than me. Maybe that's because my logic is flawed or maybe because theirs is flawed. But you know what? Christ is in them and Christ is in me, and I have to see that piece of Christ. In me. Amen. Yeah. Come on, Connor. And that overcomes yes. the differences between us, right? And so if, if we're going to be united in Christ, if we're going to see that Christ is all and is in all, Paul gives this practicals, really. Uh, so starting in verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so, you know, I think 
I think we do a pretty good job as a family of churches, as a body, as, as this church. I think we do a pretty good job of overlooking these differences and coming together and love one another. But it can be so easy to let the world come in, yes. to see these viewpoints and be like, ah, they don't know what they're talking about. Ah, come on. I just can't, you know, I'm just going to avoid them because right. I'm just going to disagree with them. But are you making the effort to love them? Right. Are you making the effort to, despite your differences, mm-hmm. to serve them, to give to them, to care for them, mm-hmm. right? Because that's, that's what Paul is saying here, right? He says, so there is no division. He, he goes on, Christ is all and is in all. And he says, so therefore, this is what we need to have. We need to have mm-hmm. compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All things that I see in Christ. <coughs> we have to pull the, the, the pieces of Christ that are in us out and use them so that we can be united in Christ. Amen. That, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, you know, if you are God's people, if you want to be united in Christ, <coughs> you have to do these things so that there is no division. So that we can love each other. Amen. Right? Amen. And so, you know, our differences are great. They're amazing. That's, that's what makes us who we are. It makes this body so much more variable and so much more diverse. And I don't, you know, if we're not united, then we're just a group of people that come together on Sunday and Wednesday and are committed to a group. And I don't want to be that. I don't want to be just a social club of people that are have the same, you know, ideals. Because we're all different. Right. But we can look at Christ and we can be unified in Him because there are pieces of Christ in all of us, right? Right. And so to to put all these things together, Paul says in verse 14, he says, And over all of these virtues put on love, which binds them all together. In perfect unity. Amen. Love is the leader. Love is the unifier of the character of Christ. And it should be the unifier of us. It says that it it, it unites them in perfect unity. Love binds us all together with all of our messy sin... With all of our failures, with all of the things that divide us, it unites us in perfect unity in Christ. Because, you know, you can love someone, but in here, we have to love someone through Christ. Mm -hmm. You know? Because that's so much more powerful than just loving someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Because Christ gives us all of these ways to love each other. Yes. You know, it's the catalyst. It, the, the love for Christ and the love for each other is the catalyst that unifies us together. And that is how we build this family. You know, if we, if we put on love and if we put on the unity in Christ and think Christ is all and is in all, mm, amen. Come on. then that is what grows our bonds together 
That is what spreads our light to the community of Eugene as we're trying to build our church. It's not about this, oh, we just have to get more people in here. Because if we can't love them, I don't want them here. What's the point if we can't love people and show them that we're different because of Christ? What's the point? Why are we building this church? Come on, Connor. We have to be founded in Christ. We have to be founded in the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so let's be united in love and in Christ. It's the most basic foundational thing of Christianity. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, you've got to understand these things. That we love and are united in Christ. And we're not always going to be perfect in that. We're going to mess up. Mm -hmm. But love looks over Mm -hmm. the failures. Mm -hmm. It looks over the disappointments. It looks over the hurts that you have. Mm -hmm. Love covers over a multitude of sins, is what the Bible says. And, And if we put these things on, then our bonds will be strong. Our light will shine in Eugene and we will grow as a body because we're building on the foundation of Christ. And so with that, I'm going to pray. And we're going to have an Amen. God, thank you so much that we have Christ to unify us. I thank you so much that Christ is what brings us together, not some desire for, for friends or Uh, for deep relationships, but that Christ forgave us. That Christ looks over all of the things that we hate about ourselves. God, that Christ was the perfect unifier for all of us. That there is no division in the body of Christ. God, I'm so grateful that we get to share in that. And I just pray that we can be united in love and in Christ and know with all of our heart, that Christ is all and is in all. Amen. 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 Amen.